Good morning. We are blessed to have uh, Joel Tay come and speak to us this morning as well as this evening. Uh, there's kind of a more detailed bio of him on page 10 in the bulletin. But uh, he is a scientist and apologist with Creation Ministry Internationals. He has a couple of master's degrees uh, in theology and divinity. He also has a bachelor of science degree in both evolutionary biology and genetics, uh, as well as in biotechnology. Uh, he was with Campus Crusade for a couple of years doing uh, open-air evangelism in Australia, I think. And then also he did an internship with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Um, I believe he was born and raised in Singapore. Uh, became a believer when he was very, very young. He's married, has a young daughter. And uh, we are greatly looking forward to, to hearing what he has to uh, say to us this morning. So, brother, go ahead and come. Good morning, church. Can you hear me? Can you see me? (laughs) Okay, I'll just stand at the side here. All right. Okay, just from those sentences alone, you would have noticed that I sound different from most of you. And that's because I'm actually from Singapore. Anyone been to Singapore here? Some of you here? Wow. If you do not know where that is, it's there, that little dot from the other side of the world. Okay, so why am I here? Well, I work for Creation Ministries International. Uh, We operate out of Georgia, um, in Atlanta, one hour from Atlanta, actually, in Powder Springs. And um, as you can see, now I'm here because I'm married to an American wife. And that's our little baby, right? Can you see that? Yeah. So why am I speaking about Creation here today? Well, as I introduce Creation Ministries, I like to say that Who are we? We are an international ministry that exists in seven countries around the world. And we give over 1,000 presentations every single year on creation and evolution in churches just like this. And one of the things I like to say is that we are an information ministry. But what do I mean when I say we are an information ministry? Let me try to phrase it this way. How many of you here have ever had questions like this? Well, hasn't science proven millions of years to be fact? Is there evidence for a worldwide flood? And don't the fossils prove millions of years? And did God use evolution and millions of years to create? And if God is a God of love, why is there death and suffering? Can I have a show of hands if at some point in time in your life you ever had questions like this? Raise your hands. Okay, do me a favor, leave your hands up there and take a quick look around you. Do you see that? Okay, hands down. That's almost 90% of us. I think if we are all honest with ourselves, at some point in time in our life, we have questions like this. And this is what I mean when I say we are an information ministry. We provide answers to questions that people have so that you guys might be able to equip yourself and have your faith strengthened so that you may be able to make a difference in your families and friends. So that's our website, creation.com. We have over 11,500 articles on creation and evolution. So if you get to our website, type the question into a search engine, chances are if it's related to creation and evolution, there is an answer waiting for you there. So I would like to introduce our free email newsletter, and we call this InfoBytes. So what's that? This is just an email that we send out once a week. We do not spam you, we do not send you, um, we do not sell you information. It's just to update you guys once a week with some of the latest news. So for example, imagine today you go back home, you open the newspapers, and on the headline it says the latest eight men has been found. 
and then your neighbor comes up to you and say, ha, how do you answer that? Well, if you are subscribed to a free, our free email newsletter, chances are at the end of the week, there will be a reply waiting for you. Just forward our reply to your friend and you can use that as a way to share the gospel, as a stepping stone to share why the Bible can be trusted. And so that is what this InfoBytes is about. So if you're interested, this is what the form looks like. Just fill in your name and your email. And when I get back to the office, I will key this into our system. So, um, ushers, you can hand that out. Okay, as they're doing that, let me get into the actual presentation. If you have listened to my introduction earlier on, you would have noticed that one of my degrees, actually a degree in evolutionary biology, right? And when people hear that, they always ask me this question. Why would a Christian study evolution? You see, I spent four years studying in Australia, and that's where I did my science degrees. But when I was there, um, I would spend four hours, three hours on the street every single week doing street evangelism. And for those four years, every single week, I would have at least one person asking a question about creation and evolution. And I believe that this is actually the biggest intellectual stumbling block to people even becoming open to the gospel itself. You see, many times it's like this. Here you have a boy, and he goes to the libraries, he goes to the school, newspapers. And what does he learn about? Creation or evolution? Evolution, millions of years. And he goes to school, and his friend Johnny, Johnny tries to share the gospel with him. And Johnny says this, Jesus died for sinners, the Bible says so. And his friend looks at him and says, the Bible isn't true. Well, what about eight men? Where do dinosaurs fit in the Bible? And what about carbon dating? And could God have created over millions of years? The same kind of questions when 90% of your hands went up earlier on. And Johnny says, I don't know. And his friend says, see, I told you the Bible isn't true. Do you think Johnny's witnessing would be effective? No. But it's worse than that because now Johnny has all these questions. And who does he ask? Mom, Dad, can you answer these questions? And does he get any answers? And that's why we get people writing into us like this. Here you have a youth leader. I used to beat my head against a wall, wondering why we lost all our young people at age 16. I realized that age 16 is when they teach evolution in depth in science. Some of the teachers actually identify the Christian students and make a special point of explaining the differences and difficulties in reconciling Genesis and the facts of evolution. It's no wonder we lost them. I come near tears just thinking about it. Here's a college chaplain. This constant brainwashing, and he's talking about evolution, destroys the faith of many Christians each year. Our surveys indicate that 80% of first-year students believe in a God who is there. By their second year, only 15% believe in God. These two things that you see here, these two testimonies, were actually from Australia. But in the States, it's worse. Because in the States, you do not wait till you're in college. You actually learn about evolution from fourth grade. And sometimes they don't even mention evolution. They just talk about millions of years. And what's that? That's essentially the whole evolutionary idea of gradual processes evolving over millions of years. And that is why similar statistics by every major denomination in the United States has come to similar conclusions. It's worse in the States. The Southern Baptist Convention tells us that of kids who grew up in church with a church background, 88% of them, when they get to college, they leave the faith never to return. Life waste survey, 
Assembly of God, 66%. George Barna, 61%. What figure is acceptable? You see, if at least two in three kids who grew up in church, they leave the faith when they get to college, we need to ask another question. Why? What is the reason? And so our CEO, Gary Bates, he decided to do a study. So two years ago, what he did is he went to the colleges in Georgia and he interviewed hundreds of students. And we asked them one question. This became what we known as a fallout project. We asked them this question. Did you grow up in church? Do you have a church background? If they say no, we excluded them. We just wanted to focus on those who grew up in church. And of this group that had a church background, we asked them a second question. Do you believe in creation or evolution? The vast majority said evolution. And so to this evolution group, we asked a third question. Has your church ever shown you how science supports the Bible? Every single one of them said no. And the fourth and final question, do you still attend church? And every single one said no. And then we went to the group that believed in creation. The same question. Has your church shown you how science supports the Bible? Every single one said yes. And the final question, do you still attend church? And every single one of those, of them, still attended church. Oh, sorry, let me make a correction. Of those who believe in evolution, only one guy still attends church. But I think what we see here before our very eyes is that the biggest intellectual stumbling block to people coming to the faith is this whole issue of creation and evolution. Because if God's word cannot be trusted from the very first verse, what else can you not trust from the Bible? It boils down to the authority of God's word. And the atheists, they recognize that. You see, many well-meaning Christians say, no, why can't we just teach evolution in the church? You know, let's not raise up any controversy. Let's just teach evolution. God used evolution. But the atheists, they themselves understand from studies that if you do that, people actually end up leaving the church. So here you have an atheist writing in. In his book, he says, he's writing to, to Christians, to, say, make, to his fellow evolutionists, make allies be cooperative. We need help. Build bridges. Work with religious groups. Our best allies for defending evolution are, main, are members of the mainstream clergy groups. You see, he understands that if you can get churches teaching evolution or not defend, teaching the church to defend their faith, when these kids get to college, they actually leave their faith. Here is a sample letter. Dear Reverend, I'm writing to you in the hope that you will join together with thousands of clergy and congregations to demonstrate that religion and science can comfortably coexist. Of course, by science, he's talking about evolution. See, they are not even shy about this. You see, but the Bible tells us this thing. In contrast to that, the Bible gives us this, this sentence, this verse, 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your heart, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Is this a request or command? Come on. See, many people say, oh, creation, evolution, you know, I just believe what the Bible says. And that's important. You see, the word of God has to be our foundation. But you guys recognize that this is a commandment. That means it's not enough for you to say, I just believe the Bible. Because the word of God commands you to equip yourself so that you can defend the faith, so that you can share the gospel, you can make a difference in the life of those around you. See, many times it's like these two trees that you see here. On the left tree, you have all the worldly values. On the right tree, 
the biblical values, the Ten Commandments, right? And many times when you ask somebody, why do you leave the church? They will not say, oh, I left the church because I disagree with the church view of murder. I disagree with the church view of abortion. They may say that. But is that the real issue? Or is that a symptom of a much deeper issue? What's the real issue here? I believe it's this. It boils down to this question. Can God's word be trusted? You see, if you believe that God is our creator and we are his creation, then God tells us what is right and wrong. Then one day we will be answerable to God. But if we believe we are just a product of evolution over millions of years of chance process, then hey, who are you to say what is right and wrong? Man decides his own truth. So the whole question boils down to the authority of God's word. And that is the reason why we are even here speaking about creation. Because if God is our creator, we are his creation. We cannot live our life any way we like. We have to live our life for Christ. In a moment's time, I will speak a bit about science. And, well, I'll be speaking about fossils. But what is science? Before we talk about, let me have a show of hands. Okay, who has more, more evidence? Creation or evolution? So who says that evolution has more evidence? Who says creation? Who says it's the same? Who says, I don't know? Okay. Let me try to phrase this question a different way. So in my hand here, I have a fossil clamp. All right? So two scientists, one creationist, one evolutionist, when they're looking at this fossil, two geologists, are they looking at the same fossil or different fossil? Two astronomers looking at a star, are they looking at the same star or different star? So let me ask that question again. Who has more evidence, creation or evolution? Same? You're still not sure? You see, the reason why they come to different conclusions is not because they have different evidence. The evidence is the same. The reason why they come to different conclusions is because they have a different worldview, a different starting point. And so they interpret the same data differently. And if this still doesn't make sense to you, as I go along, maybe you, know, you will catch along and agree with what I say. You see, when we speak about science, there's actually two kinds of science. See, for most people, when I say science, what comes to mind? You think of technology. You think of airplanes, laptop, technology, like, like this. But this operates in what we call operational science. What's that? Experimental science. It's science that's repeatable, science that's in the present, science that's observable, and science that is testable. What do I mean by that? Let me try to illustrate that. Here I have a big ball here and a small ball here. If I were to let go of both at the same time, which would hit the floor first? Who says a big ball? Small? Same? Okay, let's give it a try. What's the answer? If you are not sure, what can you do? You just do it over and over again. That is what we call um, operational science or experimental science. But you see, when we're dealing with creation and evolution, we're dealing with a different kind of science. We're dealing with what we call historical science, or forensic science even. And this is science that is not in the present, science that is not observable, science that is not repeatable, and science that is not testable. What do I mean by that? You see, I grew up in Singapore. And in World War II, Singapore was under the Japanese occupation. Well, I wasn't born back then. So if I want to find out what happened, what can I do? Well, I can speak with my grandmother, and she'll tell me all kinds of stories. I can go to the library, I can look at 
no, uh, documents from back then. But whatever I do is in the present. I cannot go back in time and repeat an experiment back in time. So because of that, my, my presupposition, my worldview will play a much bigger role in the way I interpret the evidence today. So that same evidence, when you ask someone from Japan and you ask someone from Singapore, they may interpret that in a very different light. You see, when I say that, that our worldview, our presuppositions shape the way we look at the evidence, what do I mean? Maybe this will help you to understand that. Okay, here I have a little quiz and I want everybody to try to choose something. So here on the board, we have two circles, two semicircles. What's missing and how did this look like originally? A, B, C, or D? Who says the original picture is A? B? C? A few happy faces there. <laughs> D? Okay, hands down. Do you want to know the answer? <laughs> Nothing is missing. <laughs> you see, I trick you, but that's my point, isn't it? Why did you think something was missing? Well, because that was a leading question. I suggested to you something was missing. And with that in mind, you went about looking for something that was consistent with your presupposition, that something was missing. And it doesn't matter whether you choose A, B, C, or D. Your conclusion will be entirely consistent with the evidence, the two semicircles. But because you had the wrong starting point, you came to the wrong conclusion. And very much the same way when we look at the scientific evidence. It's not the evidence that changes. It's the worldview that we bring to the evidence that changes our conclusion. You see, the world, they look at the fossil record, say, oh, look at all those rock layers. That's evidence of millions of years, suffering, death, disease. It's a record of fossilized thorns and thistles, things like that. But may I encourage you guys to start with the Word of God. Put on biblical glasses and then look at those same evidence. When you start with the Word of God and look at the evidence, the same rock layers now become evidence not about evolution, but 6,000 years, created time, no death before the fall, six-day creation, Noah's flood, and things like that. Can I have a show of hands? How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? There's quite a few of you. But for those of you who have not been there, I'm sure we have all seen pictures like that. Do you see this picture here? You see the rock layers and the millions of years? No, wait a minute. Take a step back. When you hear something like that, take a step back and ask yourself, what is the evidence? Rock layers. What's the interpretation? Millions of years. So learn to distinguish between those two things. See, these rock layers, they contain what? Fossils. Evidence of dead things. Sedimentary rocks. Rocks laid down by water. And these are actually on every mountain range in the world. In fact, you see things like marine fossils, like clams and shellfish. So, even the top of Mount Everest is actually covered with marine fossils. And the evolutionists will agree with you. Remember, same evidence, but different interpretation. But the evolutionists will say, this fossil clams at the top of Mount Everest, see, Mount Everest was once under the ocean, and over millions of years, the, the mountain was slowly being pushed up. And that's why we see fossil clams like that up there. But if you believe in the word of God, you see, there was a worldwide flood. What would you expect to be if there's a worldwide flood? The Bible says in Psalms 104, after the flood, mountains rose, rarely sink. That's why, rapidly pushed up after the flood. And that's why we get fossils at the top of Mount Ephesus. Same evidence, different interpretation. Who is right? 
Like I said earlier on, when it starts with the Word of God, I believe it makes much more sense. Why? How many of you here like to eat clams or shellfish? Anyone? When you cook a shellfish and it dies, does it remain closed or does it open up? It opens up. If you go to a seashore today, look at the clams that are there. Within a few days, the top half separates from the bottom half. So how then do you get a closed fossil clam like this? Is that millions of years waiting to be buried? Or is that catastrophe burying that in its position so it's forever stuck in this position, in a closed position? Look at that. More shellfish. Look at how they are positioned, all in the closed position. Does that support the idea of millions of years better or worldwide catastrophe? Something like the flood makes much more sense. It's like this cartoon say, clam cavity. I wasn't even dead yet. It happened so quickly. It happened to my entire family. I couldn't even open up. <laughs> you see, friends, start with the word of God and then look at the evidence. Is there an event in the Bible that describes a process which will allow millions of dead things to be buried in rock layers all over the earth? What would that be? A worldwide flood. You see, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own evil desires. What are scoffers? Unbelievers, people coming, mocking the Bible. And they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Slow gradual process, uniformitarianism, there's no flood. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that has heavens existed long ago, and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. If you believe in evolution, the earth did not start by water, like the Bible says. The Bible says the, the earth at the beginning was water. If you believe in evolution, the earth was molten lava, hot at the very beginning. And then he continues to say in verse 6, and that by means of this, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. In the last days, scoffers will come along and they'll deny the worldwide flood. But notice what it says. It says they deliberately overlook. What does that mean? If somebody has to deliberately overlook the flood, it means that with the right biblical glasses and starting point, you should be able to see the evidence fitting the flood much better. And so we will take a look at some of this evidence today. Does anybody recognize this volcano? That's Mount St. Helens. How many of you were here when Mount St. Helens erupted? Okay, so now I know your age. Okay, so one thing about Mount St. Helens, if you notice, this volcano is special because it's actually missing its site. See, it did not just blow its top, it blew its site. And when that happened, we saw amazing things happening. Here at the bottom of this cliff, you have a person for scale. And this entire cliff here, this was formed in three separate events, each taking less than one day. See, when the mountain uh, erupted, we saw all these things, not over millions of years, but in three events, each one less than a single day. This first event was when the volcano erupted, formed this whole thing in one day. This second layer formed in just three hours. This was when it blew its mountain uh, the site, and hot ash and debris ran down the mountainside. This entire layer took just three hours. Let me zoom into this layer. Do you see that? Circular geology textbooks will tell you this thing. Look at those microlaminations. 
Each of those lines must have taken one year to form. This must have taken tens and tens of thousands of years to form. But remember what I said about operational science in the present. When it's below its side, this entire layer was laid down in just three hours. See, when you have a catastrophe, these things can form very quickly. And the top layer was when a mud flow ran through the area. In one day, the third layer was formed. But maybe you say to yourself, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe if that's a catastrophe, you can have these things forming quickly. But you said earlier on that, you know, these rock layers form quickly, but I've been to the Grand Canyon and we all know that there's the Colorado River that runs through it. Look at the high sites. This must have taken millions of years to carve out that river. Is that true? Let's go back to this picture, the top layer. Remember what I said about it? That was a mud flow that ran through the area in one day. When that happened in one day, the mud flow actually covered up an entire canyon. And that little canyon today is known, is known as Little Grand Canyon. Why? Because it's one fortieth the size of the Grand Canyon. And this picture you're looking at, that's Little Grand Canyon. Do you see the river that flows through the center? And do you see the same high sides? Did this river take millions of years to cover out the canyon? Or was the river what was left after the watery catastrophe? You see, friends, Mount St. Helens is a tiny volcano. Can you imagine what a worldwide flood over a year long would have done all over the earth? So you say, okay, so maybe you're right. Maybe rock layers can form quickly. Maybe canyons, rivers like this can be covered up quickly. But ha, earlier on, you said that those rock layers contains what? Fossils. And we all know fossils take millions of years to form. Does it? What are fossils? Evidence of things that was once alive, now being buried, right? But if you go to a museum around the world, you will see things like this. This is from a museum. A dinosaur, he dies. He sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Over millions of years, and that's the rock layers you see there, he's slowly being buried. And one day, due to erosion, those bones are exposed, and that is how you see a fossil. Does that actually make sense? How many of you have seen documentaries of the ocean floor? Is it covered with millions of fish waiting to be buried? Why not? Well, they rot away, they get eaten. So how then can you get a fossil? Not by millions of years of slow, gradual process. If you do not believe me, let's look at this little fish. Do a little experiment. Here you have Freddy the fish. So he's swimming along, and when no one's looking, you take a few drops of cyanide. <laughs> and poor Freddy, right? If this happened in the ocean, what, what? it floats to the top. Other fish comes along, nibble at it, bite at it. Scraps fall to the bottom after a few days. Lobsters, scavengers come along, and within a few weeks, nothing is left. How can you get a fossil forming by slow, gradual process? Doesn't make sense. Scientists have done similar experiments. Here you actually have a pig carcass that was tied down so it would not float away, and they put a big cage so that big fish and sharks will not eat that. Okay, this was placed in really cold waters, low oxygen waters, and deep waters. So you will not expect this to decay that quickly. See, the scientists just wanted to see what scavengers like lobsters would do to a pig like this. The next picture, this same pig seven days later. You see that? 
Do you notice how scattered the bones are when they fall apart? It's not in a nice preserved position. This is just seven days. How then do we get well-preserved fossils like this marine reptile here? Notice how the bones are not scattered about. In fact, when I look at this, I can tell you immediately that this is a female. And how do I know that? Do you see this circle? It's actually giving birth. I know some of you ladies here, you have stories of long labor. Did that take millions of years? <laughs> you see, when you see something like that, a worldwide flood bearing all these massive creatures rapidly makes the most sense. We write about that in Creation Magazine. And I will get to that a bit more later on. So there you go, buried birth. You can take something like that, go to a friend and say, hey, look, this is evidence for a flood. It doesn't make sense of the idea of millions of years of slow, gradual process. So how then can you get a fossil? Well, Freddy the fish again, right? Of course, um, if there's a catastrophe, your tsunamis all over the earth, what will you expect to see? Rapid burial. If you rapidly bury this thing with lots of water and the right minerals, you can get a fossil forming very quickly. This fits the idea of a worldwide catastrophe. That's how you get things like this. Here you have a fish eating another fish. How long does a fish take to eat its breakfast? Not millions of years. Oh, but how about this teddy bear? This was a teddy bear that was made in just three to five months. And what we did is that they took this bear, hang it under a mineral spring, and let water and mineral flow over that for three to five months, and you get a petrified teddy bear. I have a, a sim bear from the very same spring. If you get to the book table later on, there's a, for, a small fossil display. Look at it. Hold these things for yourself. Feel it. I have this teddy bear that was hanged at in the same, very same spring. In three to five months, we got that thing forming just like that. In fact, in the 1800s, Scientific American actually had an article about this very spring. And you can see here, they're actually fossilizing, what is this? Petrifying this um, lobster. In the past, they would do all kinds of things. They would take carcasses of fox, dogs, cat, birds, and they put that under the spring. At the bottom here, you read about how one of the cat was so completely petrified that when it broke off his head, no organic material was left. The entire thing had actually turned into stone. Lots of water and rich minerals, and these things form quickly. From the very same table out there, I have this petrified cardboard rose. It's made of cardboard. Can you see the metal wire here? How long did this thing make? This was from the Czech Republic. Just another angle. This paper rose took just two weeks to form. Not millions of years. And from the same bear, from the same spring, I have a teddy bear. Just two weeks. You can get to the table there and feel that for yourself. Not millions of years. See, friends, when you start the Word of God and put biblical glasses and train yourself to use that to look at the Word of God, things begin to make much more sense. And have any of you heard of the petrified forest? Anyone? Some of you. What's that? Well, if you look at this thing, you have what they call petrified forests. You see, you have a tree trunk that's running through that through many of these rock layers, which they say take tens of thousands of years to form. But that's wood. They should have decayed away. In fact, this is the way it looks like in the fossil record out there. Does it look like a forest? But if you notice one thing, that many of them do not have much leaves. Many of them do not have much roots. 
You may have a root ball or a little bit of roots, but not much. Many of them do not have much bark. So how does something like that form? This was a mystery for many years until Mount St. Helens erupted. Remember I said it blew its side. So when it did that, that force caused it to blow millions of trees into a nearby lake. And that's what you're looking at here. Because of the force, many of them do not have leaves. Many of them do not have much roots. They were blown off into a nearby lake. And as they rubbed against one another, the bark fell to the bottom. And within a few weeks, the bark began to form low-grade coal. And as those tree trunks float on the water, the root end began to get waterlogged first. And so the root ends sink and they begin to float in a vertical position. And within a few months, this tree starts sinking to the bottom in a vertical fashion when the whole tree became to get waterlogged. And that's what it looks like. Mount St. Helens, this is a picture from there. You see how they're all floating and sinking in that direction. In fact, the scientists who did that say it was quite dangerous because as he was underwater, he was seeing some of these trunks beginning to fall to the very bottom. So friends, when you look at the false, uh, petrified forests, that's not evidence of millions of years. That's evidence of a worldwide flood. In fact, if those three trunks form quickly, those same rock layers around it form in the same period of time. And how massive are these petrified forests in the fossil record? What kind of flood would have caused something like that? And what about coal? I'm sure we have all heard that coal takes millions of years to form, doesn't it? Well, in fact, in this paper just a few years ago, 2011, we now know today that high-grade black coal can be made by taking lignin, which is the main component of wood, put some uh, acid-activated acid clay and water, and heat this up to just 300 degrees. And that really isn't much for a geological process. In 4 to 36 weeks, you can get high-grade black coal. You do not need millions of years. And this was just last year in the scientific literature. Algae to oil in just one hour. Algae, water, heat, and pressure. In one hour, you can get um, oil. And the paper actually says that if you want the best quality crude oil, the mixture needs 80 to 90% of it to be water. What geological process could have caused that? How big are these oil fields? And just two months ago, a few months ago, we now know today that fossils, real fossils, not talking about this kind, but fossils that look exactly like the fossils we find out there, can be formed in just one single day. In fact, even under the microscope, and that's what you're looking at, scanning microscope, scanning electron microscope, they look exactly the same with all the other fossils that we find out there. All you need is take some pressure, some temperature, high temperature, and then you need some clay or sediments to drain out the, the fluids that come out of it. And within one single day, you get a fossil. In fact, they wrote about this. The scientists said they look like real fossils. That means fossils you find right there in those rock layers. Their dark slums of skin and scales. The bones became brown. Even by eye, they look right. The approach we use to simulate fossilization save us from having to run a 17 million year old experiment. <laughs> do you see the irony there? Could it be that these things do not need 17 million years to form? If you have water, pressure, high heat and things like that, what you would expect in a worldwide flood? But let us look at what the Bible says. I mean, we have looked at some signs. Let's see what the Bible says. The Bible says God created the world in six days. So some Christians, come, some Christians come along and they say, 
You know, why can't I stretch those days out to long periods of time? Why can't I say that those days are a thousand years? I mean, after all, doesn't the Bible say a day is to the Lord like a thousand years? Well, I always ask them. I say, read the rest of the verse. They say a thousand years is like a day. You're back to square one. See, this verse is not saying that one day for, uh, to the Lord is a thousand years of man's time. It's saying that God is patient. God is outside of time. So when the Bible says that God created the world in six days, it's not speaking about God's time. It's speaking about whose time? Our time, man's time. And even if you stretch each day out to a thousand years, you're still stuck with six thousand years. How on earth do you get the idea of millions of years? It's not from the Bible. If you notice something, look, what is created on day three of creation? The plants. When was the sun, moon, and stars created? Day four, one day later. Of course, the Bible said God created a light source on day one. But the sun, moon, and stars were created one day after the plants which isn't an issue, isn't a problem. But if you stretch each day out to be billions of years, now you will actually have the, the plants going billions of years without a sun, moon, and star. So why do you want to do that? You end up with a position that's not compatible with the Bible, that's not compatible with circular geology and evolutionary thinking. You end up in no man's land. So it doesn't help to stretch out those days because the order of creation still contradicts the evolutionary order. This is just one order, but if you go through the Genesis account, there are at least 24 contradictions in the order of creation compared to the evolutionary understanding. But the Bible doesn't just stop at the six days of creation. It gives us a genealogy from Adam all the way to Jesus. The reason why Jesus had to die on the cross as the last Adam was because death, sin, and suffering came into the first man, Adam. But it's not just a genealogy. The Bible gives us a chrono genealogy. What is that? A genealogy with numbers. It says Adam was 130 years old when he had Seth. Seth was so and so when he had his next son. And his next son was so and so when he had his next son. That means that when you have a chronology with numbers, you cannot have any gaps in there. It's just a matter of adding that all the way up. Here we have the gene- genealogy from Adam all the way to Joseph. We know when that was. We know roughly when Abraham lived. We know when Moses lived on the earth. We know when Christ came. We know when was the exile. We know all these details. It's just a matter of adding all those numbers up. And you arrive at the date where this earth is only about 6,000 years old since Adam. You really cannot add millions of years into the picture. And here I actually have a timeline. And this may be a bit complicated, but please follow along with me, because if you get this, this will be key. See, at the top, what we have here is a timeline, the evolutionary timeline. So imagine you draw a timeline, all right? Evolution says that the universe is 13.7 billion years old. See, it's a big bang. So draw a timeline, 13.7 billion years. According to them, Homo sapiens, humans, came in 200,000 years ago. Sorry, last year they changed that to 300,000 years. But it's the same. 13.7 13.7 billion years, if man came in 300,000 years, we are at the end of this timeline. But if you start with the biblical account, 6,000-year-old creation, man was created on day 6, we are at the beginning of this timeline. Two very different timelines, one man at the end and one man at the beginning. Who is correct? Let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus, when he was teaching on marriage, in Mark, it says this, from the beginning of creation, God made them 
male and female. Jesus teach that the earth is young. Okay, Jesus' statement is not, you cannot reconcile that with the idea of millions of years. And so my question to you is this. Do you believe Jesus? Jesus in John chapter 3, he says this. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Do you see why this goes all the way back to the gospel? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul preaches the gospel. But how does he preach the gospel? He says this, For as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. To explain the gospel, he goes back to what happened in the book of Genesis as a real historical account. And in verse 26, he says this, the last enemy to be abolished is death. See, one of the questions we get a lot, if God is a God of love, why is there death and suffering? We know from the Bible that death and suffering is not a good thing. It's an intruder that came into this world because Adam sinned. Death is an enemy, but death itself will be abolished one day. So the Christian is the one that has the answer to why there is death and suffering in this world. It's not a good thing. It will be dealt away with. But if you start with any other worldview, death is always an intruder. It's always there from the very beginning. See, if you believe in Buddhism, what's that? Reincarnation. You believe in Hinduism or Buddhism. Reincarnation, cycle of life and death. That's death from the beginning. Right? If you believe in, um, even in, if you're Muslim, you believe in the Quran. What does it say? In the Quran, it says that cattle was created for food. What is that? That's death from the very beginning. If you believe in evolution, millions of years of death, disease, and struggle, and suffering, that's death from the very beginning. Christianity is the only one that has an answer to the problem of evil because death is not there from the beginning. It's an intruder into this world, and because God is good, one day, death itself will be abolished. But again, it goes back to the book of Genesis. See, earlier on, we speak about rock layers containing fossils. But where does this whole idea of millions of years come from? Remember, I said it's an interpretation. But of what? It's an interpretation of the rock layers. You see, these rock layers with this evidence of death and suffering is an evidence of millions of years. We see in the fossil record, evidence of cancer, arthritis, broken bite marks, broken bones. Is that a good thing? Here you see um, dinosaur bone with arthritis in there. You see, if you believe in evolution and the millions of years, then death and disease and struggle was there from the very beginning of time. It leads to the progress of man. In evolution, death is actually a very good thing. So here you have the Garden of Eden. right? Imagine, if you try to put millions of years of rock layers before Adam, what are you actually saying? You're saying that Remember what God said? At the end of creation, everything God created was very good. But you're saying that all these millions of years, death, disease, and suffering is very good. Does that even make sense? Do you see how this undermines the very good nature of God? But the Bible also says that thorns and thistles came in as a result of the fall. But yet in the fossil record, we see evidence of thorns and thistles. It's like this cartoon say, Oh, Adam, what a perfect world. Yes, Eve, all the plants are so nice to touch. Do you see the contradiction there? But if all these rock layers are evidence of something that's not before Adam, 
but something that is a record of something that occurred after Adam. Then things begin to make much more sense. See, if the worldwide flood is the cause of all these rock layers, then all these rock layers is not millions of years. It's something that occurred just a few thousand years ago because of the worldwide flood. So as I said earlier on, evolution says that death leads to man. But the Bible says man's action brought death into this world. See, there are many, well, many Christians that try to come up with all kinds of explanations. And I do not have time to explain all these views here. Uh, but all these views share something in common. Every one of them tried to put millions of years in the Bible. But the moment you do that, you put millions of years of death, disease, and struggle before sin. See, it's only one view that's compatible with the Word of God, that is taking God's Word as it says. God created the world 6,000 years ago in six literal days. Here you have the, president, the former president of American Atheists. In a debate, he says this. He says that the most devastating thing, though, that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. Now that we know that Adam and Eve were never real people, the central myth of Christianity is destroyed. If there never was an Adam and Eve, there never was an original sin. If there never was an original sin, there's no need of salvation. If there's no need of salvation, there's no need of a saviour. And I submit that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, into the ranks of the unemployed. I think the evolution is absolutely the death now of Christianity. You know, in a sense, he's right. If evolution is true, Christianity cannot be true. But may I suggest that because Christianity is true, evolution cannot be true. See, many churches we go to today, they will say, oh, we are a gospel-centered church. We are a gospel-centered church. Well, what does it mean to be a gospel-centered church? And can you really be gospel-centered if you have really undermined the very foundation upon which the gospel stands? The reason for the cross was because of what happened in the book of Genesis. See, at the end of the day, what is your authority on creation? Is it the word of God? If it is, then let us put on biblical glasses and use that to interpret the scientific evidence. As I say earlier on, I repeat again, Jesus said, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? See, today I shared a lot of things, and to be honest, I don't expect you to remember every single one of them. But can I be a little bit practical here? Let me explain to you Creation Magazine. And what is this? Well, Creation Magazine is actually one of our main resources. We have over 800 resources in our warehouse, and we bring... Um, the best ones that we think here. And um, of this, people still tell us it's too many. So what we do is that we just iron out one or two key resources. And to me, Creation Magazine is the best resource to get. Why? What is this? This is a quarterly magazine um, that updates you guys with the latest information, but written in a way that families and kids can understand it as well. And this is a magazine that does not have any advertising in it because we designed this purely for evangelism and to equip the church. So we have people writing into us about this magazine more than any other resources about how their lives has been changed. So Creation Magazine is um, designed to not only equip you but to strengthen your faith. So here we have a well-known Christian researcher saying, studies find that the main reason people abandon Christian upbringing is unanswered intellectual questions. And this actually makes a lot of sense because you see when somebody offends you in the church, what are you supposed to do? The Bible says you are supposed to reconcile yourself with that brother. 
But unfortunately, many people do not do that, right? What do they do? Someone offend them, they don't say a word, and they go down to another church. But they're still in the faith somewhere out there. What causes someone to turn their back to Christianity and never to return? It's when they believe that God's word cannot be trusted. And that's why it boils down to this very question about the authority of God's word. And earlier on, we have already seen that of kids who grew up in church, that two and three will leave the church when they get to college. See, people say to me, say, oh, creation, evolution, that's just a side issue. Or they say creation, evolution, that's, that's divisive. I do not want to talk about it. But if we have already established that two and three kids will leave the church, if I have three kids and two of them are going to leave the faith, and the main reason is this whole issue of creation and evolution, if I do not do anything about it, who is the one being divisive? If I have three kids and two are leaving the faith, is that really a side issue? Let's go back to our friends. So Johnny here. So his friends say, what about millions of years? What about fossils? What about dinosaurs? By the way, this evening I'll be speaking about dinosaurs. So if you come back, you may learn something about that. But imagine now, Johnny says this. Come, let me show you from the Bible. Imagine if Johnny has all these answers now. Do you think his witnessing would be far more effective? Do you think his faith would be shaken like it did before? So here we have somebody writing this. At first, I shunned the belief of my parents, but after living on my own for two years with the aid of a copy of your magazine, which I was given one day, I realized that I was the one who was wrong, and I asked for salvation. So um, let me just introduce this and be a bit practical. Well, please do not get me wrong, because you know, people have this impression that creation ministries, that we make our money from selling books. That's not the main way we make money. Creation ministries is mainly donor-supported. So why do we bring books here? It's not so much for sales. The reason why we bring books is because that is the only way you guys are going to be equipped with the answers to reach out to your friends and families. So this is Creation Magazine. And so what's that? As I say, it's a quarterly magazine. It's $7.50. So every quarter when we send out a magazine, we'll deduct $7.50 from your card until you decide to stop. So if you want to subscribe to this magazine, this is what it is. Um, in a moment's time, volunteers will hand out this form. Fill in your details and tear out, um, sorry, fill in your details in the form and the top half tear it out and bring it to the book table later um, to, to be processed. And when you do that, what we'll do is that we need your email address because not only are we going to give you the mag first issue of the magazine today, we're going to send you an email link with a digital version of this magazine where you get back to the office. Right? So fill that in, take that form and bring it to the book tables. And when we get back to the office, what we'll do is that we'll key that into our email system and we'll send you digital updates every single month. We'll give you a digital copy of the magazine. You can send up to five people. So I can read the magazine today and I can send the digital version to my, my grandmother or to my kids and they can read it for themselves as well. So that's Creation Magazine. You take the first copy today. As an incentive, we'll give you a DVD that used to sell for $19. This is a high-quality documentary on Charles Darwin to Galapagos Island. So one of the questions we get a lot, what about natural selection? Does that prove evolution? So we deal with that in this DVD. And then we have the four-out DVD, so the one I was talking about earlier on. Listen to us, interview the students, and hear them in their very own words on why they leave the church. At the end of it, we ask them, the second half, so what are, the, what are your objections? 
So they say, oh, natural selection, oh, radiometric dating, things like that. And then we answer those very same questions out there. So again, just to recap, the 750, fill that in. 750 for the quarter, you get your first magazine today and those two free DVDs. So how many of you have ever had questions about radiometric dating? Is it reliable? Anyone wonder that? So that's something we cover in Creation Magazine. So I'm sure we have seen this picture. We know, what is this? What is this? Mount St. Helens, right? So a few years after the volcano erupted, it stopped erupting and the lava dome formed at the top. So this is new rock, and we all know how old this rock is. So scientists took samples of this new rock and sent it to a lab, and we got that dated by radiometric dating, potassium argon in this case. How old did the rock test? 350,000 years. And then they took that rock, they grind it up, and separate that into its different minerals. Felspar, 340,000 years. 900,000 years. 1.7 to 2.8 million years. This is from the very same rock. How old is this rock? Just 10 years old. See, do you see how you can take something like that in a magazine? Show it to your friend? You may not know all the technical arguments, but using that, you can use it to show that the dating methods are not reliable. But it's not just one case, because scientists have done these volcanoes all over the world. Here on the left side, you see that, that, that volcano there? Here you have Hawaii, Sicily, California, Arizona. Different volcanoes around the world with their dates. Some of them 50 years old, some 200, some of them 1,000 years old. We know the dates of all these samples. And on the right side, the radiometric dates. Millions of years. So the question is this. If in every single case of rocks of unknown ages, we get the wrong dates, what makes you think of rocks of known ages if give you the correct dates? So as I say, these are things in Creation Magazine. It's easy, pictures to understand that you can use. So volunteers, if you want, you can hand that out. But you say, if the evidence is so clear, why do some people still choose not to believe? Well, I say that most of the time, people only get to hear one side of the story. But those who hear it at the same time, like this very well-known atheistic philosopher, he admits this. He said, I want atheism to be true, and I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope I'm right in my belief. It's that I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Why does he say that? Because as I said earlier on, if God is our creator, we are his creation. We are answerable to God. We cannot live our life any way we want. We have to live our life according to what God wants. He understands implication. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So beside Creation Magazine, what else? What, what, what second resource you should look at? First, Creation Magazine. Second, this book that we have out there called the Creation Answers Book. The top 65 questions that people have on creation and evolution. So in fact, after this talk, I'll be at the book tables there. You can ask me any questions that you have as well. I'll try to answer them, but it has to be a question related to creation and evolution. But we have all that in this book. Radiometric dating, that's one chapter. What about dinosaurs? That's one chapter. Where did Ken get his wife? How did animals get to Australia? How did animals fit on the ark? 
What about the Ice Age? What about distant starlight? All these questions are dealt with in this book. It comes with a second book here, Refuting Evolution, that's written to deal with high school evolution, whale evolution, ape men, and things like that. And here's a, a DVD. Our best documentary um, DVD, um, if you have to choose just one, I would recommend this one called Evolution at Glitz Hill. This is, in my opinion, the best DVD that has the best evidence against evolution in one volume. Um, we won a few Christian awards for this. It comes in a book that goes to it in more detail. And if you're familiar with um, movies and cinemas, this was in our cinema in January, Alien Intrusion. Something very different from what we're talking about today, talking about this whole idea of um, what are UFOs, talk about alien adoption and things like that. It ends with a very strong gospel message at the end. And maybe you say, oh, I'm familiar with creation. I've been in this for many years. What's the next step? The best commentary in Genesis. Genesis, the Genesis account from Genesis 1 to 11, 800 pages covering 11 chapters, science, theology, and history. So if you want something very comprehensive and in-depth, this is the next one you should look at. You see, friends, there is a battle for, for souls out there. It's a battle of worldviews. It comes down to whole, this whole question of evolution and the Bible and whether God's word can be trusted. But the Bible gives us the seven seeds of history Creation, the curse, the catastrophe, that's the flood. Confusion, that's the Tower of Babel, the nation spread out. Then we have on Mount Sinai, the covenant, Ten Commandments, the covenant. Then Christ came, died on the cross, and one day there will be future restoration. Death itself will be done away with. But everything here goes back to what happened in the book of Genesis at the very beginning. You see, friends, we have lots of questions today. Like I said, we have over 800 resources in a warehouse. All 800 resources did not exist 20 years ago. This is a fantastic time to be a Christian. We have answers today that previous generations could not have even imagined. You see, friends, but as I said earlier on, most people only hear one side of the story. So my friend, when he heard a presentation like this, he got so excited and he asked me, he wrote in to me, he said, how can we reach a campus of 20,000 people who have a negative view of religion, God, and Christianity? Do you know what? Me standing here on a Sunday for one hour, I cannot do that. But do you know who can? If every single one of you here make that commitment, you say, yes, I will train myself, I will equip myself so that I can have my faith strengthened and so I can reach out to my friends and families. If every one of you make that commitment to train yourself so that you can reach out to the world around you, we can reach the world for Christ easily. I would like to end my talk, but I would like to end it with one verse and one challenge. In fact, if you forget everything today, just remember this commandment in the Word of God. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. At the end of today, I'll be at the book tables. If you have any questions, you can uh, come up to me. I have a fossil table. You can look at that yourself today, too. And of course, tonight, I'll be here speaking about dinosaurs this evening. But let us close with a word of prayer, shall we? <coughs> Heavenly, we, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word of God, for your creation, and for revealing to us what you have done in the past. 
But Lord, we pray that for the church today, the Lord, that you would encourage these members here, those whose faith may have been shaken, that they will look to your word and that they may be encouraged by what they hear today. But Lord, I pray that the church will be committed, they will be challenged, equip themselves, and they will be able to make a difference to the life of those around them, especially for the kids to grow up in this church, Lord, that they will grow up strong in the faith and in your word. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Just keep in mind that uh, all of us, to one degree or another, have it influenced by uh, evolutionary thinking on many different levels. And uh, we do appreciate the talk that he's given to us. And like he said, there's a book table in the uh, fellowship hall. And uh, you know, if, you, uh, if you are a parent or a grandparent, remember we have a responsibility to pass on a proper worldview and a way to think to our kids. And books and DVDs are great resources. And when you get those, then you make sure you read them to your children, read them with your children, and then you answer their questions. If you're a grandparent, you mail them to your grandkids. When you see them, read it with them, or pay them money to read the book, uh, whatever it takes. But it's important uh, because you want them to, to, to be able to think the right way. Because, again, many, many, many people, a majority, just assume that what the world says is true. And then when they come across the Bible that says something different, they assume that the Bible is wrong or that it's just some kind of a story. Uh, so we do need to take these things very seriously as a very real threat uh, to our faith and to the gospel.